Respect the classics, man. Hey, Rockers. It's Extra Credit, the Rock You Podcast. I'm your co-host, Seth Hinckley. Sitting along with me is the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Doodad himself, Matt Black. Hello, podcast land. How you doing? Thanks for listening. So, dude, what are you wearing today? Today I'm wearing one of my several Prince t-shirts. This is the Purple Rain t-shirt with the Purple Rain logo. Nice. For reasons that will become obvious. Do you have one that has the uh, the symbol? I do, the for, or, or the glyph for artist formerly known as Prince. Because that's how you pronounce that. I would have <laughs> I would have worn that one had it not been in the laundry. <laughs> and I'm sporting my 1982 Van Halen Sweet. t-shirt from the Diver Down Tour. It's kind of a clue as to what's coming up, but not really. So what are we talking about today? We're talking about instrumentals. We're talking about our top five instrumentals. Now, have you put yours in order yet or not? I have. I I was convinced by the ether world thing to to rank my my selections so that they line up with your selections in preference order. Ah, okay. Not easy to do since I don't think that way. It's okay. You know, (laughs) you can can rank things and we won't hold you, you know, we won't hold it against you. I used to think that way. I'm trying to cure myself. All right, so I'm going to go first. Well, before you do, oh. can I just say a brief word about instrumentals? Just sure. the nature of instrumentals. So uh, if you think simplistically about music, like any art form, as a delivery, uh, delivery device for emotion, instrumentals are at a disadvantage because words have meaning, which convey emotion, True. and the human voice conveys emotion very well. Even if you don't understand the words that are being said, yes. there's something in the timbre of the human voice the timbre, if you prefer. I often feel that instrumentals are at a disadvantage. I do think there are a lot of instrumentals which are really wonderful pieces of music. All classical music is instrumental, for example, other than opera. And they they convey emotion. They do, they do. But generally speaking, in rock music, I feel like songs with lyrics and songs with singing have have an advantage. But I think I was looking particularly to find things that I thought were effective at conveying emotion the way most rock songs do. So... Just uh, kinda, throwing that out. I kind of looked at it that way too, but I also kind of looked at it as what what scratches the musical side of my brain. Awesome. Outside of the lyrical side of my brain. Let's see what you came up with. All right. So my number five instrumental is Cliffs of Dover by Eric Johnson, and it's on the album Ah Via Musicom, which came out, I want to say, 89, 1990, somewhere in that zone. It's some soaring guitar work by one of... I think, the most underrated guitarist uh, in rock history. Uh, It's really musically complex, but you really keep grooving with the song. I've really liked this record ever since I heard it when it first came out. Uh, I had a buddy in college who was from Austin where uh, Eric was doing a lot of recording and he played it for me. And I was like, wow. And I went out and bought the CD like the next week. So cool. Where is he from? Eric Johnson. I think he's from Texas. (laughs) Just wondered if that was possible. (laughs) Cool. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great track. Very, very musical. So what's your number well, five? Well, I'm gl- I'm, this lined up perfectly. It's not. We actually didn't even plan this, but I wanted to pick at least one 
uh, instrumental by, there's sort of a group of guitarists who are known for instrumental work, Eric Johnson among them, Jeff Beck, Joe Satriani, Steve Vai, Ingwe Malmsteen. A lot of these guitarists are really impressive to listen to, but I don't really feel a big connection with most of their music. But one who I think is the most expressive and probably the most effective in his instrumentals is Carlos Santana. And yeah. he has a lot of tracks where there are vocals, but it's usually not him singing because he didn't sing that much. I don't know if he ever sang, actually. Or, he may you know, have sung a one sings, or two tracks, but, yeah. but most of the time it's another vocalist. Yeah. Exactly. But one of his instrumentals that I really like is Samba Pati. I feel like... That's a great song. It is. Uh, I feel like it's got a great groove. It's quite expressive. I don't know what he was thinking of when he wrote it, but as, every time I hear the song, I have a pretty uh, strong mental image, a sensation of being in a relaxing seaside village someplace in the Caribbean or something like that, <laughs> or sitting on a you know windswept terrace. It's a great track. All right. My number four is Switch 625 by Def Leppard. Now, there may be a lot of folks out there that don't know this track, but... Growing up in Houston, listening to an album rock station, well, there were two album rock stations, 97 Rock, which you guys have heard me reference before, and uh, 101 KLOL, uh, which was really the, the hard rocker album rock station. And both of them would play the song Bring In On The Heartbreak, which is on their record High and Dry. And they would both let it flow into the next song which was Switch 625, which was an instrumental. I think those are two tracks that should always be played together, but that doesn't always happen. That's a good idea for a podcast. We should do that. Yeah, we should. It's a really good hard rock groove written by Steve Clark and really good production by Mutt Lang. And if you like Def Leppard at all, go listen to Bring It On The Heartbreak and just let it roll on to the next track, Switch 625, and you'll. I think you'll really enjoy that. I didn't. I do like Def Leppard, and I didn't know the track until you played it for me, and I really like it. It's good. good All right, well, my number four, a little bit different direction musically, is by a band called The XX. And this is sort of a new band. It's an unusual band, hard to classify. Uh, but the two principal members are Romy Madley-Croft and Oliver Sim, who have a very mm -hmm. interesting personal interplay. And Romy, in particular, has a very interesting guitar style. That's something we might also talk about in a future podcast episode. But That would be another yeah, good one. Yeah. Uh, but this is a song called Intro. And can you guess where it appears on the album? It's at the end, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. No, it's the first track on the album. It's about two minutes long. It's just a beautiful piece of music. It's very hypnotic and also grooving because it's got a great percussion track by Jamie XX, the, who does most of the beats for the band. I discovered the XX and this song when I rented a car and the previous renter had left the CD in the CD player. Music bonus. Yeah, totally. And I meant to take it with me, but I forgot and I left it for the next person. Well, see, now you're passing <laughs> Pass it, it on, on to somebody else. Exactly. See, that's what we should do. Yeah. No. Share, our, share our love of music. Good track. I know you guys can't believe that I've waited this long to talk about Rush into a podcast, <laughs> but my number three, there are multiple Rush instrumentals that I could have chosen, but I got to go with YYZ. Respect the classics, man. Respect the classics. <laughs> and you got to go with the live version that's on Exit Stage Left because it has a Neil Peart drum solo in the middle of it. So the other version that you really should look up and watch on YouTube is the live in uh, the Russian Rio version where the crowd sings the music while Rush is playing it. 
they're singing it back to them and they're jumping up and down and it's like waves watching this giant crowd because this was the first time Rush had ever played in South America. It's also the only instrumental that I'm aware of that has the title in the song. Do you know why? I, I do. It's okay. because there's a the Morse code for YYZ appears in the beginning of the song. Or if you're Canadian, it's YYZ. Exactly. And or YYZ French too. Because? Because it's the airport code for their hometown of Toronto, Ontario. By the way, you just reminded me, I should have said this sooner, but uh, I, if you haven't noticed already, we do put a link in every show, in the notes for every show, to a Spotify playlist of songs that we talk about on the show. So if you want to yeah. hear more than just a, a quick clip of this, or the, all these tracks, check the show notes, click on the Spotify link, and you can listen to all of them. And we can put a link to that uh, show in Rio, too, if one of us remembers to do that. Yeah. How's the, that ever going to happen? The oh, YouTube. Probably. We'll remember that. We'll, we'll the probably remember Did it. I say the YouTube? Yeah, yeah, to the YouTube. <laughs> we'll remember. We'll listen one more time. All right, so what's your number three? My number three is Rocket by Herbie Hancock. Which, Good one. Yeah, which is a, 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 it's got a, first of all, it's got a really cool video, and I think a lot of the reason why I love the song is because the video is really cool. It's about automation and robots, but um, the song is a little hard to describe. I think when we were talking about this, it's kind of almost like a rap instrumental, a hip-hop instrumental because of the scratching. Yeah, there's yeah. the scratching with it. It's yeah. it's a little jazzy, yeah. you well, know, not so jazzy. It's more. I, I would say yeah. you're right. It's more of a rap instrumental, which is, but it's got a little jazzy which tinge is, to it. Yeah, which is un- unusual that it's a, a hip hop instrumental. But uh, you mentioned jazz. Herbie Hancock is a jazz musician, and yeah. this video or this uh, sorry this song was a way he got into a sort of a market crossover, and it was played on radio and it was shown on MTV, and a lot of people got introduced to him and to jazz. I hope through Rocket. Yeah, Herbie yeah. Hancock's music. If you go dig through his discography, mm-hmm. it's really it's awesome. Crazy. He's got it's some amazing. amazing piano songs that are just awesome. Very talented guy. All right, my number two. I got to go with a track called "Amen, Brother" by the Winstons. That's on the album "Color Him Father" because it's probably the most sampled drum break of all time. It's about halfway through the track, and the track's only like what three minutes long two and a half something like that it's in the same league as for as far as being sampled as james brown's the funky drummer or apache by the incredible bongo band but this one is by far allegedly the most sampled drum break ever it's sampled in something like more than two thousand recordings very cool uh so it's the basis for hip-hop it's the basis for a, a lot of pop songs that they'll they'll loop that drum beat and just use it in the background. Super it's, cool. Yeah. I know the yeah. funky drummer. I didn't know the the uh what was it? Um, the Amen Brother. Amen Brother. Yeah. Uh, till you till you told me they about it. They call it the yeah. Amen Break. Cool. Is is the yeah. the sliver and it's really it's only probably ten seconds of the song, ten That's all maybe you need fifteen. For a sample. That's yeah. all you need for yeah. a loop. That's right. Cool. Well I'm gonna go with my number two now, which is uh well, before I tell you what it is, uh, I mentioned before there was sort of a little sub-branch of the rock tree of uh, rock and roll instrumentalists on guitar. There's a whole sub-genre of rock and roll, which is largely instrumental, and usually based on a, a clean guitar with a very heavy reverb, uh, and that's surf rock. And yeah. there are some great surf rock bands, and there's so many great surf rock songs, it was hard to choose one. Let me. Can I try and guess? Sure. Okay. 
Miserloo by Dick Dale. Well, that's one of my favorites, and I also play that in my band, and I love playing it, but that's not the one I went with. Uh, well, so. Which one did you go with? Well, the one I went with is Walk, Don't Run by The Ventures. Oh, nice. And I went I went with that one because it's, uh, it's one of my uncle's favorite songs, and my uncle listens to the podcast and gives me some feedback. So this is a shout-out to you, Uncle Hiram. That's a song he learned on guitar when he was young, and I learned on guitar when I was starting out, and he told me about it. And I knew the song, but I didn't know what it was called or how to play it, so I taught myself how to play it. It's a a great tune but go listen to the safaris the the ventures the shadows dick dale uh what are some other greats of uh, um, link ray and telstar yeah there's uh, link ray exactly yeah. surf rock is really fun everyone knows Wipeout probably is the maybe the most yeah. famous example and that one does have the name in it too but that's the it that's does. a lyric though it, it's is a lyric. A lyric. it doesn't count yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right my number one is the seminal track that I believe you can split rock and roll into before this track and after this track because it's such a big deal in rock and roll. It's Eruption by Van Halen. Classic. Uh, I'm going to say it's definitely the most influential guitar track of all time. Rock guitar is divided into BE before Eruption and A after <laughs> Eruption. It's every guitarist who played anything on guitar after 1978 when Van Halen 1 came out was influenced by this track. And as it turns out, Eddie was just practicing something that he was going to play as an in-between songs deal for the show they were playing that night. They were recording this record at Sunset Sound and Eddie was noodling around and Alex just started up and Ted Templeman, the producer, walked into the, into the studio and looked at the engineer and said, tell me you're rolling tape on that. And he looked at him and was like, oh, yeah, I've been rolling tape the entire time. And he was like, oh, good, because that's going on the record. Some good serendipity there. Yeah. And it was just something that Eddie was doing to the story goes that he was just doing a warm up or something that he would play in an interlude in between uh, songs that they were going to play at the Whiskey or the Trocadero or wherever it was they were going to go play in L.A. that night. Just an Great amazing track. track and super influential. Great track, yeah. All right, that's a, that's a very worthy number one. I think my number one stands up to it, and that is Green Onions by Booker T and the MGs. Oh, yeah. And we talked about Booker T and the MGs in episode four, I believe it was, the movies. The movie episode, Because yeah. uh, Steve Cropper and Donald Duck Dunn from Booker T and the MGs played two of the band members in the Blues Brothers. And uh, this is just a classic instrumental track. You might not know the name, but as soon as you hear it, you'll recognize the song. Um, so let's listen to it right now. Let's do that. And we're back. <laughs> and the, uh, I mean, one of the cool things about this song for me is, once again, it tells a story. You don't have to really have any lyrics here to have a good mental picture of what, at least in your own mind, it might be a different story for everybody, but it's very evocative. It tells a story about what's going on. I, I picture, well, probably because of the Blues Brothers, I picture a car, an old yeah. car driving down a dark road with the headlights <laughs> on. But uh, uh, Booker T and the MGs, Green Onions, great tune. That is a great tune. 
Do you have any honorable mentions stuff? I do. A couple. There's some things I didn't pick. I would have picked Maggot Brain as my number one, but I had already picked it as one of my long songs, so I skipped that one. I do think there's some notable things, notable uh, artists we didn't mention, like Stevie Ray Vaughan. Uh, Oh, yeah. I know you've got a couple more. I was going to say also, um, I didn't know until I did some uh, background looking into for this episode, I didn't know that the Beastie Boys recorded a whole instrumental album, so Rocket is hardly unique as being a hip-hop Dude, they were... they were they yeah. were a punk the young band. aborigines yeah they were a punk band as the beastie boys and they had uh, they were the young forget, aborigines before and then adam I forget, and they changed i forget names. who the girl was that was their I drummer her name yeah but if you haven't seen the the beastie boys to watch that. beastie boys film or beastie boys movie that's out on uh, apple plus you, you need to watch that it's a really good i definitely it's in my queue it's been in my queue since it came out I just haven't watched it yet uh, one other thing i'll mention is there's a kind of a new instrumental genre that's developing which is really cool which is based around the acoustic guitar and uh, its percussive properties like what you sounds you get from knocking on it or whacking your oh, fingernails yeah. on it have you heard rodrigo e gabriella rodrigo e gabriella i think is the probably the best known example but I would also suggest checking out John Gom, who had a big viral hit a few years ago with a song called Passion Flower. And my favorite is two guys from Scotland, I think Edinburgh, but I'm not sure, called the Showhawk Duo. And they okay. play on two acoustic guitars, but they play 90s club mixes on two acoustic guitars. Wow. It's incredible. It's really <laughs> cool. One of them is basically playing the drum, the guitar as a drum, and the other one is playing the melodies. And it's yeah. it's really the Showhawk Duo. I'll put a link in there in the show notes to the, a couple of their videos, too. That'll be good yeah you, you want to mention some you mentioned stevie ray yeah. lenny is one of my favorites from from him it's on his first record texas flood got to go back to rush with la via Strangato, but like you i already used that in the mm-hmm. long song jessica by the allman brothers all you chicago bulls fans know serious by the alan parsons project <laughs> if you ever heard michael jordan and the rest of the guys get introduced that's the music that they used in the background one of these days by Pink Floyd. I, I didn't put it on my list because literally it has one line <laughs> of lyrics in the middle. And I know Matt's glad that I didn't pick uh, Moby Dick, Bonzo's Montro by Led Zeppelin. Uh, and we already talked about Link Ray and Dick Dale and those, those great surf bands. Hey, Matt, we keep talking to our listeners, but they can't talk to us. How do we get them to talk to us? Well, if you want to share your thoughts and comments with us, please send us an email at podcast at rock-u.fr. You can send us information in the email. We might read it on our next podcast. Or even better, make yourself an audio clip on your phone and just email that to us there, and we might play it back right here. Okay, we're back. And we're going to talk about how to pick a band name. I'm going to give you a little legal background on it because band names walk into the area of law called trademark. A trademark is something that's not descriptive, but it is like a brand name that goes with your band, essentially. And you, what you need to do before you name your band is you really need to do an internet search and see if somebody already has that band name that you want to use. And somebody else may have already trademarked it as it comes to music or playing music or marketing things like t-shirts and stuff if you want to go that route. So uh, the problem you don't want to have is if you cause confusion in the marketplace, then you can get sued for trademark infringement. Van Halen, when they first started out, they wanted to call themselves Genesis. And they did for a little while until they found a record that was by this English group 
with Phil Collins and and the rest of the guys that uh, was <laughs> out there already. So it was yeah right. It was taken. My favorite example is the the Warlocks, which was the original name for both the Velvet Underground and the Grateful Dead, and they both had to change it because there was some band that no one remembers now called the Warlocks. Called the Warlocks. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what gave us the Grateful Dead and the Velvet, and Underground. The Velvet Underground. But. That's just the short little legal blurb on it. I'm going to let the guy who has a lot of experience because he's dealt with uh, a lot of bands naming themselves over the years and let him tell you what his take is on how to pick a band name. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm an expert, but I have I have been in the room for literally hundreds of bands choosing what to call themselves, and I have a few uh, bits of perspective. I'm just sitting here looking at what we write on the wall at Rock U, and there are some great band names that are perfect in every way. Uh, Nirvana, The Clash, The Rolling Stones, where it, it, it both sounds good and says something about the music, but most band names don't. Cage the Elephant, Arctic Monkeys, Tame Impala? What's that got to do with anything? Toad the Wet Sprocket? (laughs) uh, I think one of the things that happens is bands get hung up, or people get hung up on the meaning of the words. It's not really important what the words mean. It's more important how they sound, for one thing. They should sound good. Uh, They should be easy to say. Uh, If you're uh, naming your band something in English and you live in France, it should be easy to pronounce if you're a francophone. Um, It should be something that – it can be easily something that just doesn't have a lot of meaning because what you're going to do if you're a band is you're going to put meaning onto that name. You're going to be a a good band, hopefully, and you're going to start to basically fill up that name. With meaning, with your, what I think in marketing they call your brand image. Well, that's that's what a trademark is. Exactly. It's yeah. you give the term meaning. It's like Exxon or diesel jeans. I mean, diesel's not gas, but yeah, it has, some, it, has yeah. it has some meaning to it. So you want to you you want to avoid something that doesn't sound good or maybe gives people the wrong idea. But even that can work. Probably the worst band name in history is the Beatles. It's a bad pun on <laughs> on, on on an insect and music. They were naming themselves in appreciation for one of their favorites, Buddy Holly and the Crickets. But how could they have a dad I know, joke when right? none of them had kids? <laughs> it's just a terrible, terrible name. But you don't think that anymore. You don't think, what does the name mean or how does it sound? You just think, that's the Beatles. Um, my favorite band, The Police, I think that's just an awful name. But it works <laughs> because I don't think of I don't think of the meaning of the word. I don't think of the, the name. I think of the band. And I'm looking up at the wall. I just saw Pearl Jam. What the heck's Pearl Jam? There's a whole bunch of great things up there. Um, something that you can consider is something that's practical. The band Muse named themselves because they realized that uh, on a festival poster, which is what most unknown bands or unsigned bands are yeah. playing earlier in their career, their letters were going to be taller because everyone gets about the same amount of space on the poster. But since they only had four letters in their name, they were going to have... It was bigger font. The bigger yeah. font, exactly. Um, you can. It's nice if you have something with a double meaning or an open meaning, but the best thing is something that's distinctive, easy to remember, and easy to pronounce. Cool. Are you an adult who loves rock and roll? Well, then you need to sign up for the adult band's second semester at Rock U. We're starting on Valentine's Day, February the 14th. If you need any information about where to sign up, go to our website at www.rock-u.fr. Okay, we're back. We're going to do our one-minute matchup this time, and we're going to see who's the best multi-instrumentalist. So I'm going to go first, and then Matt's going to go second, and we'll see how incorrect Matt is after <laughs> I go first. 
The right. answer is none incorrect. You minute, ready? Minute on the clock. Okay, here we go. Three, two, one, begin. All right. Is it Prince? Is it Dave Grohl? Is it Paul McCartney? No. It's Stevie Wonder. He's a master of the keyboards, whether it's electronic or acoustic piano. Uh, he's a great harmonica player, probably the best one alive. Plays the chromatic harmonica, not the simplified diatonic harmonica that I probably couldn't even play. Uh, he, he's a, a great drummer. He's a great synth bassist, and he sings like an angel in his vocals. Uh, he played all these instruments on each one of his albums, though he did use other musicians, and they were great musicians like Jeff Beck. He did use them sparingly. Uh, in doing all of these things, he's won 25 Grammys, including three Album of the Year awards in four years, and only two other people have done that. Uh, he's had 74 Grammy nominations. You can play all Stevie's music to your mom. And, <laughs> oh, by the way, did I mention? He's blind. 58 seconds. Nice, I can't nice. believe that. First time either of us has managed under a minute. Well done. <laughs> yeah, Stevie's definitely on the Mount Rushmore, and he probably would have been my second. So I'll tell you who my first was as soon All as right. you tell me when to start. Okay. You're on the clock as of now. Well, you had it right when you started. It's Prince. I'm sorry. <laughs> Prince was one of the greatest guitar players of all time, and had he only done that, he would have been the second coming of Jimi Hendrix, and that would have been enough to make him an all-time great. But he could also sing like Marvin Gaye, dance like Michael Jackson. He could write songs like David Bowie. He could lead a band like James Brown. Um, he was one of the most gifted multi-instrumentalists in rock history. He played 27 different instruments on his debut album alone. He had a five-octave vocal range. He was a huge rock star, but he played a $30 telecaster, cheap knockoff Telecaster when he could have afforded any guitar he wanted. He used Boss pedals, which is the same pedals that most guitar players who are in high school use. Uh, Prince was an unbelievable live performer in every sense of the word, playing all these instruments, dancing, choreographing. Uh, we'll put some links in the show notes to some of his more famous performances, but go check out, for example, While My Guitar Gently Weeps at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It's incredible. Since Prince passed away, you can actually see some of these things online. He used to take them down aggressively, but you can watch him play all these instruments on YouTube now. Minute five. Not too shabby. And I forgot to mention, Prince was his real name. <laughs> hey, rockers, are you going skiing during the ski break? Are you going someplace warm in the sun? Great. But if you're not... Don't just sit on your couch and watch TikToks for two weeks. Come rock with us at Rock You. We've got bands both weeks for ages 8 to 16. You come every day, you learn songs, you play them, and you make videos at the end of the week. Or we also have some interesting things going on. We've got a band improvisation workshop, a band in communication workshop. And we're also doing a workshop on singing songs by Queen, a cappella in harmony, choir style. It's going to be pretty cool. Check it out on the website, www.rock-u.fr. Today's episode of Extra Credit The Rock You Podcast is sponsored by our good friends and partners at Big Pebble Records. Big Pebble is your one-stop shop for all Anglophone music creation in Paris. Go check out what they do at www.bigpebblerecords.com, including their first release, the EP Posture, by former Rock You student Person M. Extra Credit, the Rock U podcast, is a production of Rock U. Expertly engineered and recorded by my good friend Seth Hinckley. 
And our theme music is written and produced by Tom Walters. Rock U is a nonprofit association, Loi 1901, and we'll see you next time.